So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you would become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Amen. Well, good morning. So we come now to God's word. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, we do indeed put our hope in your word uh, this morning. And we together, uh, me, uh, the preacher, all of us as a congregation, those online, look to you to hear from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us to understand it, to receive it, to be transformed by it, and therefore able to communicate your word to others as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, go ahead and keep your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is the second in our series in the book of Thessalonians. The reason why I've chosen us to study uh, this letter of Paul's to the Thessalonians is because I think it's very important that we as a church think about church. Uh, These days, because of COVID, there has been a lot of uh, strain put upon any kind of gathering, whether it's movie theaters, restaurants, schools, and yes, of course, also churches. And as uh, we trust and pray, we're moving towards an end. Uh, There's light at the end of the tunnel in this regard. Uh, It's raised many questions about what church is, what church is for, how we should do church. And so last week, we looked at uh, the, an exemplary church, and this week we're looking at an exemplary uh, ministry. Now, let's get our definitions uh, right first of all. When I talk about ministry, I don't mean uh, those of us who are paid to do ministry. I mean all of us, uh, anyone. I, I don't just mean uh, those who are ordained ministers. Biblically, we're all, those of us who follow Jesus, we're all called uh, to ministry. Some of us get paid 
to be good. Uh, the rest of us are good for nothing. <laughs> but we're all called to ministry. And you know, when I first came here some years ago, candidating to become uh, your pastor a, a dozen years or so ago now, about 12 years ago, I remember what you may remember, one of the things I said when I was being interviewed at some point is one of my first tasks when coming here will be to get together a group of out-and-out pagans, and most of my ministry over the years has been in very uh, non-Christian contexts. And so when I was coming here, I thought, the first thing I want to do is get together with a group of people who really don't believe in Jesus, and over months and maybe years, study the Bible with them, have an understanding of where they are, and hope to lead those people to Jesus. And as I've been here now 12 years, I'm still trying to find a group of out-and-out pagans. I don't know whether they really exist in Wheaton. And in fact, that's not our context, is it? You go to Starbucks, what do you see? You see someone studying the Bible. It freaked me out first time I see that, I tell you. I thought I'd come to the Taliban. What is this place? Uh, but of course, it's a good thing. But it does mean that you are all in a very religious context. And what that means is you're constantly bombarded with different models of ministry. And so it's very important that we as a church figure out what our model of ministry is and what is indeed an exemplary uh, ministry. Um, here's an illustration as we get into it. Uh, some of us perhaps are those who enjoy the Star Wars entertainment universe, all the different movies and spin-off programs. Uh, in recent uh, years, there's been a very popular spin-off uh, on one uh, of the streaming TV um, uh, programs, platforms, called The Mandalorian in the Star Wars universe. And The Mandalorian has a code of behavior. And whenever The Mandalorian is about to choose one... Uh, way of acting versus another way of acting, in his mind you can tell is this code of behavior. And when he chooses doing it in the Mandalorian way, he says in a very deep, gravelly voice, this is the way. Well, College Church, this, this is the way. So we come now to uh, this passage, and I'm going to bring for us five principles of exemplary ministry. I trust they're right out of the text. You'll remember the book of Thessalonians as a whole is talking about how we can live in the light of what we know, K-N-O-W, know. And uh, in this text, that word know is repeated five times. One, a slightly different word, just I think for rhetorical variety, but five times know for these five principles of exemplary ministry. Here's the first one, verse one. For you yourselves know... That's the first of those uh, things that we're to live in the light of here in this passage. You yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain. So the first principle is not in vain. It's very important when you are involved in ministry to realize that it is not in vain. And the reason for that is because it can often seem to be in vain. It can seem like you're not making any difference whatsoever. And the reason for that is the most important parts of ministry are secret. They are hidden. They're within our hearts. And no one else can tell. Only God knows what's going on in our hearts. Look, I look out at you this morning, and some of you have happy, smiley faces as you look back at me. Some of you look, frankly, very grumpy. But just because you look grumpy doesn't mean that you dislike me. Uh, some people, when they think, they put on their thinking face. 
And they look serious and concerned, but they're not serious and concerned, they're just thinking. I can't tell what's going on in your heart this morning. I have no idea. Only God knows. And so it's secret. And so it's very easy for us to think that the things of ministry are in vain. And so we need to be reminded they're not in vain because often it's secret. But not only is it secret, it's eternal. And the reward is in the next life. And we need to be reminded it's not in vain. Look, if you're struggling and you're thinking that what I'm doing in ministry, leading Bible study, leading a small group, trying to tell my friend about Jesus, trying to tell my family member about Jesus, uh, uh, being involved in encouraging or mentoring another Christian, you're thinking to yourself, it all seems pointless. Let me tell you this. When I have that whisper in my mind that seems like it's making no difference, I'm pretty sure that right then it is making a difference. Why? Because the devil would not be whispering in my mind, give up don't bother, what's the point, if really I wasn't making any difference. It's right then when I am making a difference that those whispers come, and I think you'll find the same is true for you. Your ministry is not in vain. It has eternal fruit, it is very important, and of great significance. That's the first principle, not in vain. Second principle, verse 2 through verse 4, here's the second of these no's. Verse 2, as you know... We had boldness in our God. So the second principle is bold. We had boldness in our God, and he talks about this boldness when he says, uh, verse 4, it was not to please people, but to please God. And therefore, he was very bold. That's the second principle, bold, boldness. How we need that today. Many Christians are stepping back from speaking clearly about matters of truth and morality and spiritual things today. We feel huge pressure from those around us. People do not want to hear the truth. They do not want to hear from the Bible. They do not want to hear the gospel. And so we step back and we do not have boldness. But boldness is part of the calling of ministry. You know, I was thinking through how to categorize the different models of ministry that are out there as I was preparing and praying for this message. And I thought of sort of uh, uh, ways to personalize the different models of ministry that are out there. Um, There is Larry the Legalist. Larry the Legalist is always trying to be more right-wing. The further right you can go, the better. He's always trying to put more burdens of law upon you. Larry the legalist. Well, that can intimidate you, can't it? It can make you feel guilty, make you shy. We need to be bold. Larry the legalist is wrong. It's not the gospel. So there's Larry the legalist, but then there's also um, Priscilla the progressive. Priscilla the progressive is always trying to move Christianity forward, to change Christianity to bring it up to speed with contemporary opinions. But of course, the Bible tells us that we are to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So, Priscilla the Progressive is wrong. So, there's, uh, there's uh, also, though, um, uh, Harry the Heretic. Harry the Heretic had always saying in one way or another, did God really say... You quote from the Bible, and Harry the heretic will come back saying, did God really say? 
And that can make you feel like uh, you're undermined in your confidence in the Scriptures. And uh, then there is Jack the sheep stealer. Jack the sheep stealer is always presenting his or her ministry, and don't take any hints by these uh, gender names that the one is more one gender than the other. I'm just coming up with whatever names spring to my mind to try and personalize these things. Jack the sheep stealer is always positioning his or her ministry in a way that will attract other Christians from other good Bible teaching ministries to their ministry. Look, I've been here now a dozen years, senior pastors of other big churches are my personal friends. We know that people move a little bit around from church to church. This is an inevitable reality when there are many churches, but we do not position our ministries to sheep steal. No, we want to win people for Christ. We want to train them. We want to send them out. Uh, There's absolutely no point in terms of kingdom progress just to move one set of sheep from one pen to another. What's the point? But with all these things going on, we need to be bold, and I've just been quite bold as an example to you. But we need to then be bold. I remember one man, when I was on the mission field doing some missionary work in a Muslim country, we were teaching English at a uh, university there, and he was the head of that university. And after our week teaching English as a foreign language to that university, he took us in his car back to his house. And he'd been spending decades, built as a private university, he was a very wealthy man, he's been spending decades building a huge mansion for himself. And as we went in the car, he described for us all the work he'd been doing over the last 20 years to build this massive mansion, which was yet unfinished. And he described his vision for the future of all the decades still to come to add this swimming pool, this room, this balcony, this kind of garden, and all the rest, on and on and on. He describes, he's driving us to show us his yet uncompleted mansion. And I felt the prompt of the Spirit as I listened to him, and when we stopped, before we got out of the car, I looked him in the eye and said, when you've done all that, what next? And of course, the answer was the grave to which he had no answer. We had a perfectly lovely time afterwards eating supper together and uh, were friends, but it was bold. Not rude, there's a difference between being rude and bold, not rude, but bold. So that is uh, the second principle, bold. Third principle, uh, verse 5 to the end, you see this next no. As you know... Uh, We did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands of apostles of Christ. Now he uses an image to describe this. We were gentle among you. So boldness comes from being a God-pleaser, which releases you from being a people-pleaser. But it is not rude. It should be gentle, our example of ministry here. We were gentle among you. Here's the illustration. Paul uses illustrations just like Jesus did. A lot of word pictures. The illustration is like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What an image. Those of us who are proponents of helping men to be men and to stand up and be counted as men, need to make sure that we do not forget the female models of ministry. Here's one. Jesus used another. He said when he came to Jerusalem that he felt like a mother hen wanting to gather her children together. 
And Paul says, I was like a nursing mother, the female image. So, uh, and what does that mean? Well, what it means, he says, verse 8, is we didn't just share the gospel of God. That is, we didn't just talk to you. We shared our very own lives. This is, of course, what what a mother does. A mother doesn't just give you lectures, and that's, of course, the image of nursing. A mother is actually sharing her life. You know, I, I've been around the block long enough now to see that uh, various people in ministry who end up being very bold uh, actually cross the line uh, to be uh, bullies. And there have been people like that in church history, and there are people like that still around today. They're a bully. But we are not to uh, be bullies uh, to our disciples. Our disciples, we're not to be a bully to our disciples. We are to be a mummy, gentle, sharing our very lives like mum. Well, that's the third principle. Fourth principle, uh, verse uh, 9, and this is the variation of terms. Remember, they're all know as we're, the theme of the book is living the light of what you know. Here he says, for you remember. He's using a different word, but the same idea. For you remember our labor and toil we worked night and day. So the fourth principle is night and day. I don't know about you, but I've become quite tired, and I don't use the word tired to, as a play on words, but I've become quite tired by the constant theme I hear around the place and uh, people discuss ministry and the internet and write books and all the rest about the danger of burnout I understand full well the danger of burnout. I've shared this with our team a couple of times, but I've been very close to burnout at least twice in my life of ministry. Uh, One time was uh, a good decade and more ago, and one time more recently. I understand fully the danger of burnout in ministry. But burnout does not come, in my opinion, from too much hard work. And Paul worked night and day. That's very hard. Uh, Jesus, of course, was the same. Uh, Jesus worked so hard that he, we are told they didn't have time to eat. And his family became so concerned that he was losing his mind because he was working so hard, they gathered around to try and take charge of him, we're told, and stop him working so hard. Now, burnout does not come from too much hard work. Burnout comes from stress. And stress is related to the difference between expectations and possibilities. But it's not about hard work. Now, of course, you should take a day off. um, But if you're in ministry full-time, you're one of those people who's paid to do ministry, whether here at the church or one of the many parachurch organizations around Wheaton. If you're paid to do ministry, you need to remember it's not a nine-to-five job. Ministry is a lifestyle. Uh, it's, it's being mum. When was the last time mum took a day off? Never, as far as I can see. It's a lifestyle. It's not a nine-to-five job. Uh, but, uh, and similarly, if you, are, uh, you get your money outside of a sort of formal Christian ministry context, of course, you can do ministry in, as a banker, as a lawyer. This is part of your ministry 
But then when you've uh, done your tent making and you made your money that way, then you do ministry at the weekend and the evenings, and it is night and day. That's part of the model. You know, um, let me, how can I put it like this? We will be a long time in heaven. Right now, we have an opportunity for evangelism and discipleship. Let's make the most of it. Jesus uh, similarly said, while it is still day, work. Night and day. Now, I understand there is an importance of balance, and people are always talking about work-life balance. I don't think Paul would have recognized that. He worked night and day. But there is some importance and balance in your life. Um, I, uh, the the uh, the famous saying from Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, uh, one of his little aphorisms, uh, he, he used to say, early, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy and wealthy and wise. And uh, my father, who I think spotted uh, within my own life a uh, propensity very early to overwork, used to say to me, yes, Josh, but uh, early to rise and late to bed makes a man healthy and wealthy and dead. So yes, you need to get some sleep, you need to balance things out in some way or other, but it is not a job and it is not a part-time thing. Wherever you get your money, whatever your ministry, paid or not, it is night and day, it is hard work. We will be a long time in heaven. Let's get on with it now. And then the uh, fifth and final uh, principle, verse 11, here's another image. For you know, again know, for you know how, like a father with his children. So that's the image. We've had mum, now dad. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you like a father. Now, uh, many of us uh, who uh, are spotting trends in society today are very aware that it's quite hard to be a man today. Uh, Men have their masculinity question today. The phrase is toxic masculinity. What does it really mean then? A lot of people are asking to be a Christian man. And people are confused about that. You find uh, some people go to one direction and some go to another. Some present themselves in sort of feminized ways and, 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 uh, and, and, and all that. And others present themselves in ridiculously caricatured kind of masculine ways shave their heads and build big muscles. It's like they're carrying around a a sign everywhere saying, X, Y, you know, I really am a man. And it's because we're confused as to what it means to be a Christian man. Well, what it means, Paul says here, it's like dad. Of course, the challenge with that is many of us had dads, fathers, that were not ideal. What do we do with that? Well, Paul is teaching us what we do with that. We ourselves become a dad, a father to others. I know um, some people in very prominent positions of Christian ministry, know them personally, of course, a number of people, uh, lots of people in prominent positions, but I think of a couple of people who are in prominent positions of Christian ministry who their own fathers were deeply disappointing to them. Alcoholics, uh, borderline abusive, that sort of thing. 
And their response to that is to be a dad for others. So men, do not spend your whole lives looking for a father figure. We have a father figure. Be a father figure to others. Like dad. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an illustration from my own life. And I don't use many personal illustrations because when I preach, I want you to encounter Christ, not encounter me. But obviously, I am preaching, so it's useful somehow to know uh, some aspects of my own personality as well, of course. And uh, this comes from when I was very young. It's one of my earliest memories in my entire life. And I was very young, and I remember feeling extremely guilty. Don't think that young children do not have a moral sense. They do. And I remember very young feeling very guilty about something. I had no idea what it is. I can't remember now what it was. But I was feeling very guilty about something. And what I did was I hid. Very much a Genesis moment. I hid. And in particular, I went into hiding under the sink. I was, uh, I was hiding under the sink. And I think my parents must have been going mad. Where is he? I remember them calling out my name, Josh, Josh. I was hiding. I felt guilty. I said nothing, hiding under the sink. And I remember now the moment when my father finally decided to check the bathroom and check under the sink and saw me curled up there. I can't remember what he said exactly. I remember the gist of it, and I'll give you that in a moment. But I remember the look in his eye. And I remember the gist of what he said, and it was not like mum. He didn't bend down and give me a hug and kiss me on the forehead. He looked at me with a somewhat stern look in his face and said something like, Josh, what on earth are you doing? Let's get on with life. Or as Paul puts it here, exhort, encourage, charge, exhort. Let's get on with it. Encourage. You can do it. Charge. Go for it now. Be a dad to those you're discipling. Well, those are the five principles of ministry. And of course, as we look at them, we have to ask ourselves, what do they remind us of? And of course, the answer is they remind us of Jesus. Paul is presenting his own example as an example of Christ, and we saw that example in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, this type, this brand, this model of Jesus that the church is meant to be, and therefore we all as ministers, as those who follow Jesus, all of us, whether paid or not paid, are meant to be an example of Christ. We follow Paul's example, who was a little bit like Jesus, that we might be a little bit like Paul, and therefore a little bit like Jesus. And so, College Church, this is the way. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you for the Apostle Paul and his example. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow that example with these, uh, these five principles of exemplary ministry. Help us to be bold, to realize that our ministry is not in vain. Help us, Lord, to be uh, like mum and like dad. Help us, Lord, to work hard night and day. 
Lord, for all this, we need your power and your energy, your spirit, Jesus, to come upon us and empower us. We pray that you would, and we pray that therefore we too might be increasingly a little bit like Jesus with not only what we say, but how we live our lives in ministry. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.